In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. My beloved, today is the fourth Sunday of the month of Misra, and this is the last complete month in the Coptic year. Then there's the small month, uh, which will be the Sunday, will be the Sunday of the small month next um, week. And during these last month or so, the church reads for us the readings concerning the end of time and the judgment uh, of the world. So, um, in today's gospel from Mark 13, the Lord revealed to the disciples what are the signs of His second coming. And began to many mention many things that will happen. But one of them that kind of stood out to me was when He said, Now brother will betray brother to death, and a father his children. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. There's apparently during the last times before the Lord comes, there's going to be great degradation within the bond of the family. Uh, and this is one of the signs that perhaps when you look at the landscape in the current yani, society and world, yani, this begins, we can see the seeds of this already. Um, and how do we get to the point where children are betraying their parents and parents are betraying their children and we have this great uh, chasm in the family. I'd like to speak a little bit about this betrayal in the family uh, this week and next week, God willing. This week we'll focus a little bit on the parents, and then next week we'll focus on the children. So how is it that parents betray their children? And again, the idea is, is for us to be aware of these things, and perhaps if we recognize them in myself as a parent, I can begin to try to change them. We don't want to be, as children of God, participants in the degradation of the end times. Right? Remember he said among uh, the other things that uh, even the elect he would want to, uh, the enemy would want to destroy. The elect being the Christians. So we ought to be those who are not included in this degradation. So, how do parents betray their children? Um, number one is by a, a sinful addiction. By a sinful addiction. Um, I'm speaking here about the addiction and not about a sin. Because all of us, we can fall into sin, we repent, and we get back up again. But I'm talking about the sinful addiction is the, the pursuit of after a sin and the desire for it at uh, all costs, regardless of the cost. And we have to understand that any sin that I commit, especially an addictive sin that I commit repeatedly and I pursue it, it will it has an effect on myself and the people who are around me. The wise leader understands and knows that the decisions I make and, uh, and the choices I make and how I carry myself affect not only me, but the people around me. If you remember when Abraham went to uh, Gerar, and he met there Abimelech, who was the king of Gerar. And Abimelech said to Abraham, I, I, you know, can, he liked Sarah and he wanted to marry her, so he took Sarah. And then that night God appeared to Abimelech and told him, if you touch her, I will, ki I will kill you. Because she's already a, a man's uh, wife. So uh, Abimelech responded in an interesting way. He says to him, what? Lord, will you slay a righteous nation? And begins to tell him, in the integrity of my heart, I did this. I didn't mean to take advantage of her, but I really meant to marry her. 
But the first thing he says, what did you, did you, uh, do, uh, will you slay a righteous nation also? What does he mean by this? Because Abimelech understands that when I make do a sin of this magnitude, it will affect me and all the people that I lead, which is his whole nation. Right? So he understood this as a good leader. So any sin that we commit as parents and uh, that is addictive and that I pursue and that I perhaps I will sell everything to attain will certainly impact my wife or my husband and certainly my children. Do you remember Lot's wife? They all were warned that Sodom and Gomorrah will be destroyed. And the angels came and warned them and Lot and his wife and his daughters fled the city. But his wife fled reluctantly. One eye this way and one eye that way. Until the moment she saw the destruction of the city and both of her eyes went back. And because she, this desire or this lust, lust for possessions and perhaps the things she had there, this drove her to become a pillar of salt. So how did this affect the family? Were those two young daughters who were around the age of uh, marriage had to grow and become, you know, uh, mothers perhaps, yani, without a mother in their life or their own biological mother in their life. This certainly broke the family. David sinned with Bathsheba, the same. David pursued this sin and committed this with Bathsheba to the point where he even wanted to cover up his sin by murdering uh, Bathsheba's husband Uriah. And he put him in the front lines of the battle until he was killed. And look what happened to the families. Bathsheba and Uriah. Uriah was killed. Bathsheba was taken by another man. And we don't know, of course, the story if they had children or not or what happened with them. But certainly this family was broken. Not only that, David himself. David's first child with Bathsheba was taken by God because of this sin. And this caused him so much grief. So much grief. Again, we see when we pursue a lust or a sin with like this passion, the result will certainly have an impact on myself, my family uh, as a whole. However, when the parents lead a repentant life, the whole family will be saved. I often find, you know, parents, they'll come and bring their children to confession and say, Habibi, confess. And sometimes when we visit, they'll say, Abuna, so-and-so hasn't confessed. Sometimes the child will say in simplicity, Mama or Baba, when did you confess? When did, when did Mama or Baba confess? So they're telling their child to confess and repent, but they don't do it. But when the parents consistently and regularly go and offer confession and repentance, the children also will do the same. Do you remember Zacchaeus when the Lord went to his house? And when the Lord entered his house, he says, you know what, half of my goods I'm going to give to the poor, and the other half I'm going to restore to those whom I have cheated. What did the Lord say to Zacchaeus? He said, today salvation has come to this house. Why? Because the leaders of the house repented, so certainly the children will also follow suit. Right? The first way we betray our children is by a sinful addiction. The second is by, uh, can be by greed. As St. Paul tells his uh, disciple Timothy, 
for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This is probably where we usually finish the verse. This is the part we memorize. The love of money is the root of all evil. But let's finish the verse. For which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness. So this greediness has led them to stray from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And as we know, again, as parents, when this happens to us, it will certainly affect our children as well. Some parents place more value and emphasis on money. And how is this? Say, well, not really. Yeah. Is what we, what is it that we talk about with our children? Is about which career is going to make the most money and how much money we have and what to do with our money and what about the stock market and what about this kind of investment? Is this all we speak about? This communicates something that this is the most important thing to me as a parent. And of course, we do so at the expense of their, our children's spiritual, emotional, and psychological development. Rather than teaching them um, how to evaluate their problems and, and, uh, and deal with them, teaching them the ways of, in the spiritual life, how to pray and so on, and we'll speak about this a little bit later. But we value more money and the greed for the saving of money. The Lord told us a parable about a rich fool. And the parable begins by saying there was a, a man who, you know, had a business and his business went so well that the barn that he had was too small. So he said, I'm going to take this down and build a bigger barn. So he built a bigger barn and filled that. So that way he has enough to sustain him and his family for years to come. So what does he say? He says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have made, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So it is who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. And is not rich toward God. So he says this man is a fool. Why? Because he laid up all these treasures and then he died before he could even you know, enjoy some of these things. Why? Because he put his emphasis on this storage. But the storage, ultimately, what's going to happen? He's not. He may not even enjoy it. His life may be taken. And then what about the more serious of the matter, which is being rich towards God? He has no storage place of this. All of the spiritual practices and all of the struggle we go through in our spiritual life puts in, uh, in heaven like this bank and treasure in heaven and the richness in heaven. So the day in which perhaps we can't stand up and pray, or the day we can't do any matanyas, then we already have a storage house of grace already in heaven. But when we have nothing there, and then we you know, save all of this you know, here on earth, and this is our focus, then what happens when the Lord calls us? We need to teach our children the proper place of money. And that's at our feet, not as our God. At our feet. The money is there, we make it, it's fine, and we, but this is a means simply to sustain our life, but not a goal in and of itself. Because money can't buy happiness, can't buy peace, can't buy health, can't buy a lot of things that God can provide for free. So sometimes the greed of a parent can be a source of betrayal to the children. 
Also, the lack of discipline is a source of betrayal to our children. And again, this is something that is more common nowadays and that, you know, let children kind of raise themselves. We don't want to hurt them or offend them, but let them fully express themselves because we were suppressed somehow when we were young. So we need to let them, you know, express themselves without any kind of guidance. Again, this is uh, a very foolish and unwise way of thinking. Um, the discipline of a child provides the child with predictable results and boundaries of acceptable behavior. Meaning, if I have a set of rules in the house that we go by, the child knows, and his mom and dad are very predictable. If I do this, this is what happens. But imagine if there are no rules, then mom and dad would be very unpredictable people. And this will be a cause, a sense of um, insecurity in, in the place. And they will ultimately say that things aren't fair because there's no system. It also provides a boundary of acceptable behavior. They know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And not only just in the family, but again, what extends to society as a whole. Without them, children will go without structure and order. There's a story of a priest in the Old Testament whose name was Eli. And he was known for not really disciplining his children. And what happened was these two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were in the temple serving as priests, of course, and they committed sin inside the temple. They disregarded the holy things of God. They abused their authority, took portions of the sacrifice which belonged to God, and committed sexual immorality inside the temple. And what was the result of this? Is that their father basically, and he told them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. Know my sons. So he says, we shouldn't do this. So where's the discipline? This should have been disciplined long ago, from before. Before they were even priests. Right? So what happened with them? It ends up that Hophni and Phinehas were killed in battle against the Philistines. In First Samuel chapter 4. And Eli, when he heard the news about their capture and about the ark being taken, he fell back in his chair and he also died. So we see the lack of discipline really put a fracture in the family. The kids became, became rebellious, they disregarded the authority of the parents, and therefore disregarded the authority of God himself. And this is what happens. This is why God values the family unit so much. Because in it, children grow and learn the value of heeding and submitting to authority. Without understanding this and learning this, they're in for a hard and long life and perhaps will one day be criminals and be in prison. How does the lack of discipline affect the children? As we mentioned before, many things. Among them, it can lead the child to develop behavioral issues of defiance, aggression, frequent tantrums, and even, of course, if it grows, you know, untreated, even adult tantrums. And adults have similar tantrums uh, as children, just in a different form. And, of course, disobedience. You find the child will also have a difficulty regulating emotion. Why? Because there's no system. There's no stability. Things are unpredictable. So they're not sure how they should act or how they should even feel. And also, of course, they'll be more likely to engage in risky behavior because they haven't learned 
the proper boundaries of behavior within the family, within the society as a whole. I'll remind you what Solomon said in Proverbs, Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Of course, this goes for the daughters as well. It's just, you know, sons was the common language at the time. The third way that we as parents can um, betray our children is the lack of spiritual training. Not training, the up, training them up in the spiritual way. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, he says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Diligently to your children. And shall walk, and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So does this sound like something we say just on the way to church? Or after we finish, Habibi, how was Sunday school good? Okay, let's get on with the rest of our life. What about the sports? What about what's happening on TV? What about this? But no, this he says, describe it here, teach it diligently, talk when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. There should be a common theme. The commandment of God should always be in the house. This is how we train them to think like children of God. And we are responsible, my beloved, for our children. If you paid attention to the command to the parents in the, sac in the sacrament of baptism, in the end it says what to the parents, you will answer on their behalf on judgment day. You will answer on their behalf on judgment day. Not for every decision that they make, but for your responsibility to train them in the spiritual way. Teaching them the way to fast, teaching them how to pray, when to pray, what to say when we pray, how to thank God, how to worship Him, how to come, how was it when we enter the church, how do we enter the church? We come and we make the sign of the cross and we prostrate in front of the altar. We kiss and take the blessing of the icons and sit in our seat. We don't sit next to our friends because we want to pray. All of these things are things we do to train them in the spiritual life. Teaching them how to do charitable deeds. There's a beautiful family in the Old Testament, the family of Tobit. Tobit would bury his dead brethren in his own backyard at his own expense. The dead people would not even say thank you. And his son Tobias saw this, and he learned to, do, to be charitable because he saw his father as he invited the people who were less fortunate with them. So teaching our children how to be charitable, how to fast, how to pray. We need to teach them how to uh, and to train them in the spiritual path. The lack of doing so, again, is a betrayal to them. How else will they learn if it is not from us? How else will they learn if they don't see us in the home as leaders in the spiritual path? We tell them to pray and read the Bible, but we ourselves, we don't do this. Ala fikra, the children are very keen. Very keen. And if I only come and we say, Aban al with them, we pray and we say, you know, our father, and then this is all the, that we do, and we put them to sleep. As they get older, they'll notice you just saying our father with them. They'll pick up. Do, they, does, do Mama and Baba go to the room where we pray or not? Is there an icon in Mama and Baba's room? Is there a cross there? Is there a Gbeya there? They'll be able to pick up and see. Do my parents really pray or are they just telling me to do this? And if the answer is they're just telling me to do this, guess what? They're not going to do it either. They're not going to do it either. 
<clears throat> also, conditional love is a betrayal of uh, parents to their children. Conditional love is the holding of affection based on a child's performance or some expectation. So I have a certain expectation or a certain level of performance in my child, and if they don't fulfill this, then I withdraw my love or I don't love them as much as ex-child or ex-cousin because they don't do so-and-so. This doesn't mean that um, we can't show our children our displeasure by withholding uh, you know, um, uh, some affection. Like they can't, you know, say something inappropriate or rude or disrespectful and expect them to be, ah, Habibi, come, come, everything is good. This will be very foolish as well. I make them apologize first, recognize they're wrong, and then we can give them that hug and kiss. This is not what I'm speaking about here, conditional love. Conditional love, I don't offer them the continual love and the, and provide for them and all their needs because they don't meet some expectation or some kind of performance. And of course, this will result in the child being insecure, of course have a low self-esteem, and will develop resentment towards his parents. And as he gets older and into adulthood, this resentment will turn to, uh, it can turn to wrath and be even worse. Um, and adults who continue uh, in this, uh, of course, pattern, they become, they can become very dangerous to themselves and to others because they haven't had this fill of love, but the love of their parents was conditional. The last one is injustice, <clears throat> dealing with our children in an unfair manner. <clears throat> and of course, as children are, they compare themselves, especially if they have siblings. So again, they're very keen how you treat one child and how you treat me. And some parents, yes, they do make a distinction in how they treat and discipline their children. Um, but of course, a little note to the children, sometimes they don't, they see this as being unfair, but they don't understand and know the things that the parents understand. So today I'm speaking to the parents who know that they are being a bit harsh on one child versus the other, because perhaps this child uh, is more like me, so therefore I love them in this way more, and this child does what I despise, so I love them less. This is the injustice where we show a bit of difference and how we uh, handle our children, especially when it comes uh, to discipline. If you remember the story of Absalom, uh, who was the son of David, whose sister was Tamar, who was um, defiled by her half-brother Amnon, which was the brother of Absalom. And Absalom looked at how David dealt with this uh, conundrum, and he was he didn't think that his father disciplined right, and it wasn't fair, and he didn't, you know, take uh, his, he didn't really get uh, vengeance for his daughter, who was taken advantage of. And this would ultimately be one of the reasons, among many, where Absalom wanted to overthrow David from the kingdom. So we see this injustice on the part of David caused a fracture in his children, to the point where his child wanted to kill him because of this injustice, and ultimately take the kingdom from him. So, again, dealing in justice can also be a way in which we betray our children. I remind you again of what the Lord said. Now brother will betray brother to death and father a child, and the children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. 
And we spoke briefly this morning about how parents can betray their children, whether it's a sinful addiction, the greed, greed, the lack of discipline, uh, the lack or uh, lack of training them in the spiritual life, the conditional love and injustice. And he concludes the gospel of today, and he says, "Take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand." So why does he tell us? Because we're still alive, we're still here, we can still make the corrections. So if I realize as a parent I've fallen short, even if my children are adults, I can offer repentance and offer an apology, a sincere apology, and see how I can make our relationship better, even as an adult. Let us uh, take heed that our families are not part of the fulfillment of this prophecy. God willing, next week we'll discuss how children betray their parents. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.